the reading of the scriptures uh, from the book of Acts, chapter 3, reading verses 12 to 26. So may we hear the word of the Lord uh, in faith. Acts chapter 3. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? Though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One, and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and His name, by faith in His name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you. Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him, also proclaimed these days, You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. All throughout our uh, our lives, we uh, we encounter different uh, decision points. Uh, decision points in the sense that we confront uh, significance that we have to make a decision about something. And there are many. Generally, when they're when we're younger, they're fairly inconsequential. The older we get, the more consequential they become. Uh, but our uh, our text this morning uh, confronts us with the clarity of uh, what is really the only great decision point in life. Uh, you could make bad decisions <laughs> throughout your life, uh, but in this decision point, the consequences are eternal. Because uh, Luke is telling us in the book of Acts and our previous studies that Christ is the firstborn of the dead. He's the only uh, one who achieves that accolade. Uh, furthermore, he's the end-time messianic king. Uh, by end times, I mean he has inaugurated the end times. 
and he is king, uh, king forever, never to be deposed, uh, whose will will be accomplished. Uh, and that creates in the decision point uh, that I'm referencing a sense of profound urgency. Uh, we, we oftentimes forget that. Even as Christians, we sometimes lose a sense of urgency. Uh, we begin to think, well, things are always going to be the same. Nothing's going to change. And yet, here's this incredible decision, profound urgency. Uh, and it is uh, a decision point of incredible magnitude. Uh, we, uh, we learn from, uh, from the event uh, of the healing of the lame man really uh, what, what this decision point is, uh, namely because the end time restoration and the new creation had begun. Uh, Peter interprets the restoration of the lame man in, in exactly that way. That it signifies something profound has started. Uh, uh, for us, it's uh, uh, incredible because on the other side of that decision point, if you know Christ, uh, you know that He will fix all things in your life uh, that is either broken or will be broken or perhaps has broken. He will fix everything. Uh, and the older you get, uh, certainly uh, that encompasses lots of things. But in the simple majesty of healing this lame man, there is this remarkable interruption of history that, that, that Christ is the ultimate fixer of all things. Discouraged spirits, broken hearts, broken relationships, and certainly uh, health and human glory that's utterly fading and in retreat. So in that sense, Christ is the only decision that really matters. Uh, in verses 12 to 18, uh, we learn that the inbreaking of the new creation creates a sense of urgency due to an implied danger. Uh, in other words, uh, uh, this decision, if you neglect it or you say no to it or you put it, put it aside, uh, you've you've encountered a point of incredible danger uh, because of what that means. And the danger for uh, Peter's uh, audience is that they have rejected life. Not just their own life, but the only life that really matters in, in, in the resurrected Christ. Uh, because uh, the healing is not a neutral event uh, for any of us. Whether you know it or not, it's not a neutral event. You don't even have to know it. You don't even have to engage the history of this. Uh, you'll be held accountable, culpable. Uh, and, and, and really for Christians, uh, we need to grapple with the significance of that because there's absolutely nothing in life that's neutral. Uh, Peter says it was not by our power, meaning that something dramatic has happened. And that, of course, is uh, the healing occurred by the resurrected Christ. Uh, and is this the, this miraculous event uh, that becomes the basis for charging them for what they have done in the crucifixion? 
Uh, so to ignore or deny the resurrection is done at incredible peril. Most people, I mean, again, speaking anecdotally, I don't know most people, uh, but my suspicion is that most people just say ho-hum, uh, doesn't apply to me, no big deal. Uh, they simply set it aside. Uh, and that, of course, is done at great peril. Uh, because the inbreaking of the last days and the resurrection means, uh, verse 13, that God has glorified uh, his servant. Uh, and this puts, uh, uh, puts them on the wrong side of eternity. And again, that implies incredible danger to be on the wrong side of God, uh, who is king over everything, but certainly the king of time and future time. Uh, it's interesting that, uh, that verse 13 uh, is, uh, uh, is an allusion uh, to Isaiah 52.13, simply in the words uh, that he has glorified uh, his, his son or his servant. Uh, reading the text, Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly glorified. And I think uh, Peter has that in mind as he's speaking to this company of Jews. In other words, uh, here's this great text magnifying the great servant son, and they are saying no to him whom God the Father glorified and who reckons that he is the servant son. Uh, that's a dangerous thing to say no to. Uh, particularly when you reckon the words of the context that my servant will prosper. If you're on the other side of him, you will prosper in nothing. Even in the physical things that you prosper in, they will all be undone. Uh, only, uh, only he will prosper and those in his train will be made to spiritually prosper. Uh, man, that's incredible when you think about it. I mean, typically in all of life as Americans, we think about prospering. Uh, we're going to collect all these toys and, and have this house and that house and this vacation, that vacation. Uh, all that's chump change. Only in Christ is there prosperity. Uh, and even if times are going poorly for you, if you're in Him, since He prospers, uh, you will prosper, certainly spiritually. Uh, we think much too often of the physical prosperity. We should begin to think of spiritual prosperity because really nothing else matters. So the Father's going to prosper the Son, meaning that you have, if you have rejected the Son, you will, not, you will not prosper. And everything that you think you have will be taken away from you. Uh, the, uh, uh, the servant... Uh, Songs are profoundly important to Christians because God the Father ascribes divine blessings upon His Son uh, and acknowledges uh, Him as Jesus the Messiah. Uh, but what have they done? Well, they crucified Him. Uh, and again, that enlivens us to the danger of, of those who uh, wrong, the wrong side of uh, Christ, the great servant son. Uh, and Peter brings against them four charges in verses 14 to 17. Four indictments. Uh, really, they are the indictments of a heavenly court. 
Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to court. Perhaps most of you haven't. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been served papers that you better be in court. Perhaps most of you have not. Uh, but it does kind of get your attention. Uh, and if you've ever been in a courtroom, you learn pretty quickly that the judge uh, really has absolute control and power over that courtroom. Uh, meaning you don't cross the judge. Uh, and that's what they've done. The heavenly court is now going to indict them uh, criminally and spiritually uh, with profound charges. First, you delivered him up and denied the holy and the righteous one. Uh, this too is an allusion to uh, the servant songs, particularly the most important, uh, the fourth servant song, Isaiah 53, 11. Uh, as a result of the anguish of his soul, Isaiah writes, he will see it and be satisfied and by his knowledge, the righteous one, the righteous one, that's the illusion that uh, uh, Peter is using against them. The righteous one that God has selected. Uh, my servant will justify the many. Think about that. Uh, you and I know that uh, justification is a legal term. Uh, they have rejected the one that God has appointed to justify the many. Think of all that that means legally, eternally. That's a decision point of profound significance. To say no to this one is, uh, uh, is uh, a, a profound statement. Uh, because outside of him there is no justification. He will justify the many. Uh, even in that, there's a reminder. Uh, typically, uh, in our culture, we're universalistic. Uh, God's going to justify everybody. No, he only justifies the many. He only justifies them, those that he represents. And he is the righteous one that the Father has appointed to justify. You can chase all the religions of the world. You can run them all to ground. You can go to all the libraries and read their books and study them. There's only one that matters, the righteous one that God has appointed uh, to affect justification. Uh, therefore, they are, uh, namely, uh, the contemporaries of uh, Peter are refusing his messianic credentials. And by the way, if you're not a Christian, that's what you are doing as well. You are refusing the messianic credentials that are offered by God the Father. Profound significance. Profound act. Uh, Secondly, verse 15, you put to death the prince or the author of life. It's an ironic statement, uh, but it's ironic in the sense, or they put him to death, but he conquered death. Uh, uh, prince or author of life, meaning he is the source of uh, resurrection life. The word for author is a very interesting word. Uh, it means that he is the, he's the forerunner, he, he, uh, he leads the way. He is the first. Uh, the author of life, he is the first. Begins with him. Uh, I mean, think about it. We, uh, we esteem authors in our culture. Uh, we esteem the man who uh, was the first surgeon to do heart surgery. Uh, on and on, we esteem the first. 
We esteem the first astronauts who stepped upon the moon. Uh, we should really esteem the author and creator of life. Uh, this word is used in uh, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 10, for it was fitting for him for whom all are all things and through whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through suffering. Reference to Christ. Uh, Christ suffered. Uh, uh, and in his suffering, he documented uh, he's the author of life. Uh, by the way, if, uh, if the author of your life suffered, uh, don't be surprised when you suffer. Because that's how he brings many sons to glory. You know, perhaps you, uh, you're a Christian, you're discouraged, well, it's as bad as it could be. Well, God uses all events to bring many sons to glory. That's about as good as it gets. Uh, and it comes from the author of life. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, fixing our eyes upon Jesus, the author and the perfecter of the faith. Uh, the singular author. There's no other authors but Christ. Uh, he's the author and perfecter of the faith. Uh, and, and again, you see all of these descriptions in the lame man. Uh, because it's not just his physical recovery, it's his spiritual recovery. And Peter tells us that the faith that gave him wholeness and soundness was through Jesus. Uh, I mean, in a moment, uh, uh, this man encounters the resurrected Christ through the apostolic company, and he's made whole, he's made sound. It, it fixes him, not only physically, but spiritually. Uh, I mean, think of, think of if you could go into all the streets and the highways and the byways of life saying, I have a cure for cancer. Uh, I have a cure for this disease and that disease. Uh, you know, if, if, if you really did, people would, would esteem you. Well, uh, Christ is the only one that can make whole and sound. Uh, and, and of course, he begins that uh, in, in our lives uh, by making us spiritually whole and sound and uh, uh, setting in motion total and complete recovery. Uh, you know, all of us who are a little bit older occasionally go to our physicians and uh, they give us some temporary healing for, I don't know, aches and pains, whatever. Uh, you go to Christ as the eternal physician and he sets in motion eternal cure. To say no to him has profound significance. Uh, it's a reminder that uh, the physical and spiritual recovery was uh, linked to the resurrection. Uh, it's as if this lame man was caught in the profound tailwinds of the greatest event of all of life. And those tailwinds grant him uh, a momentary physical recovery, uh, but certainly eternally uh, in his uh, broken spirit. Uh, it's a life, life-changing, life-giving event. It's like uh, when we go through 
uh, in Oklahoma uh, tornado season. We see the effects sometimes, uh, houses blown away, uh, everything broken, torn. Uh, well, this is the greatest storm all of life, the resurrection of Christ. And uh, the benefits, of course, uh, are good, not, not bad. Uh, because instead of houses being torn down, houses are built, uh, spiritually speaking. Uh, it's a visible uh, sign that Jesus is able to reverse the effects of the fall. Uh, and uh, put sorrow to flight. Uh, I, I spoke last uh, Sunday when we looked at the physical event uh, that that in and of itself was tied to great prophecies from Isaiah of uh, the end time restoration, people coming to joy uh, in, in sadness. So in betraying Jesus, they have uh, rejected life for death. Uh, next, uh, verse 17, Peter says, you are ignorant of the prophets. Uh, ignorance is culpable. We say, well, how, how can it be culpable? If you don't know, how can you be held responsible? Uh, well, you know, you speed through Oklahoma and you, say the town of Lutheran, you get caught, you, you tell the sheriff all day long that you didn't know. Uh, doesn't, doesn't work. Doesn't work with God either. Because ignorance is culpable. I have this profound anecdotal sense that a vast majority of people don't want to go to church because they don't want to know. Because they think if they know that God will hold them responsible. God's going to hold them responsible anyway. They're just as responsible for the Jews uh, hearing the message of Peter that they've rejected the prophets. Uh, that's a decision point. To say no to Elijah and Isaiah, Habakkuk, the voice of God through the prophets. Uh, and, 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 and in particular that uh, they rejected uh, God's provision in Messiah. And that will come at, at a high price because they're in grave danger. Uh, we typically... Uh, don't think much about danger unless we feel it. And that's the profound ignorance of our culture. We're so feeling-oriented. We don't feel something that can't be real. There's no feelings at all. I mean, the court has decided if you've rejected messianic prophecies, uh, you've uh, uh, violated uh, God's provisions. Uh, and, and in this case, the peril is immediate. Uh, of course, the sentence is delayed but the guilt is uh, present, meaning that execution uh, is only uh, uh, only in the future, but in the future nonetheless. So that is the indictment of the court. It's a profound indictment. It's uh, uh, the culpability of all mankind. Uh, it is uh, a decision point of profound danger. Uh, fortunately, in the grace of God, the judge uh, provides uh, good news and the grace of, of, uh, of the gospel. And uh, it too is related to the inbreaking of the coming messianic king, restoration, life, and joy. Because the inbreaking of the new creation establishes an urgency in the times 
uh, meaning that the messianic blessings have come. Uh, messianic indictments have come, uh, but God in His grace brings messianic blessings, verses 19 to 26. Uh, and in light of the danger, Peter's going to exhort them to try to turn them to those blessings. Uh, first, uh, uh, repent and turn. Uh, these are uh, imperatives. Uh, I think uh, the language, the aspect of the verbal force is that they should be undertaken immediately. Uh, as, you, as you know, repentance is a turning from. Uh, the word is literally to have a change of mind. You turn away from rejection, you turn away from denial, you turn away from ignorance to embrace uh, the righteous one uh, who, uh, who's only able to justify the many. Uh, you turn to Jesus in his way, uh, because every other way uh, ends, uh, ends in a dead end. Uh, uh, every other way. Now, the reason is set forth in three purpose clauses, uh, beginning in verse 19. Uh, essentially, it's a question, why should you repent and turn to Jesus? Peter's going to tell us why, uh, beginning uh, in verse 19. That your sins may be wiped away. To me, uh, uh, to me, that purpose clause just has an incredible wow factor that your sins might be wiped away. Uh, in the Reformed community, uh, different from all the other uh, Christian communities, we believe it's not just past or present, more importantly, future. Uh, God erases them. It's like they're all, have all been uploaded uh, in heaven on a computer and uh, Christ walks by and hits the delete key. Uh, and there's no follow-on questions like my computer. I get so tired of that. Do you really want to delete this? Uh, I feel like I hit that. And then you, do you really, really, really want to delete this? He doesn't get any. He just hits the delete key and they're gone. The screen goes blank. It's the purpose of repenting turning. Uh, sins expunged. We hear that term a lot in America. Uh, I think recently uh, the governor and the president of the United States expunged a lot of records. People got out of prison. Uh, think about that. When you, uh, when you reject Christ, uh, your sentence is not expunged. Uh, it's just simply given to the bailiff who will in God's time command the angels to go get you. Uh, but oh, to know the Savior. The, uh, uh, the verb uh, uh, wiped away uh, has the idea of to erase or remove. Very interesting, I was reading in a secular Greek text uh, that it was used of washing of papyri of writing so that it could be reused. Uh, again, papyri, uh, ancient paper, if you will, uh, short supply. Uh, when you need to reuse it, you just washed it, came clean, you could uh, do another homework assignment or whatever. 
uh, in Christ that washed, washed clean. Uh, in my own mind, the greatest text of, uh, I'm sure there's countless, but the greatest text to me, Colossians 2.14, having canceled out the certificate of debt, he canceled it out. He deleted it, expunged the record. I mean, that's the gospel. That's what comes when you repent and you return to Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the sole and entire basis for the forgiveness of sin in the one great final act of dying upon the cross and rising again from the grave. Just one act. Uh, sadly to say, in, mis- in many Christian communities, they, uh, uh, they crucify Christ over and over and over again. They repeat uh, the act over and over and over again. You don't repeat perfection. Repetition in and of itself uh, is an aspersion uh, to the one-time event of the work of Christ. You cannot and must not uh, repeat what is unrepeatable. Uh, the second purpose is, uh, is just as profound. Uh, so that the uh, times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Uh, verse 19 may come from the presence of the Lord. It's the only place it can come from. It comes from no, nowhere else. Uh, I say that because in our culture, we're, we're beginning, even in the Christian community, we're beginning to think that, well, every other faith has its uh, merits and uh, many roads to the, to the mountain and the sky, and we should be progressive. And it's only, ladies and gentlemen, from the presence of the Lord that there's times of refreshing. Uh, problem with this word, it's only used here in the, in, the, in the Greek New Testament. But it's in the context of the end times. Uh, telling me that Christ uh, inaugurates the outpouring of the Messianic blessings. Uh, but more importantly, uh, uh, the verbal form is... Uh, is used in some very interesting places. Exodus 8.15. Uh, there was the plague of the frogs. That's, that plague has special meaning. Can you imagine frogs everywhere? Uh, go to get in bed, there's frogs. Go to open your refrigerator, there's frogs. Uh, go out to get your morning paper, you're stepping on frogs. Imagine the incessant croaking of ten kajillion frogs. Exodus 8.15, God gave relief from the frogs. Can you imagine what that had to have meant? Uh, Paul uses uh, the verbal form in 2 Timothy 1.16. Uh, the Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my pains. Refreshing. Being refreshed. That's what God does in Christ. It begins a time of uh, eschatological refreshing. Uh, perhaps the greatest uh, of all in the Hebrew Bible is at 1 Samuel 16.23. Uh, 
As you know, Saul was uh, was uh, plagued by evil spirits. And uh, David would oftentimes take his harp and play for him, giving him refreshment from the evil spirits. That's what, uh, that's what, Christ, uh, uh, what Christ does for us. That's why we should ponder what it means uh, that he hit the delete key. We should ponder what it means uh, that his messianic blessings have come upon us. Because I know there's uh, many storm clouds in life, but they should always be in the context uh, that we are sons being led to glory. And uh, if he's doing the leading, none will be lost. Uh, so that uh, the time of refreshment is to me an eschatological event of, of uh, the great messianic kingdom that has begun in Jesus. Meaning, it's a time of great blessing. Uh, and it, it, if you extrapolate out the fullness of the meaning, it, it means that he will eradicate uh, the fall uh, and uh, every aspect of sin as it's broken our lives will be fixed. Eradicate it. Uh, And he will clothe us in immortality. That in and of itself ought to cause the storm clouds of your life, whatever they might be, uh, to begin to fade in the context of eternity. In terms of what Christ has accomplished. In time, restoration's begun. Meaning that the days are profoundly significant. Say, so, well, I've got plenty of time. You don't have any time. They've started. Uh, uh, to use the train metaphor, the train is pulling out of the station, picking up speed. Well, I've got plenty of time. Uh, no, you may not have any. You might not have any time. How do you know you won't trip and fall on your way to jump on the car? How do you know that you won't misjudge the speed? Uh, better engage, come to Christ. Believe upon Him, repent, and turn to the Savior. Third purpose clause is that we receive the times of restoration. Verse 21. Uh, the, uh, the verbal form is, uh, is uh, used in Matthew 17.11. Uh, Jesus says... Uh, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come. Meaning that the restoration has started. I understand a vast majority of evangelicals reject uh, the inauguration of end time blessing. Oh, it's all in the future. Uh, on and on. Uh, not according to our Lord's pronouncement in Elijah. Because Elijah has come in John the Baptist and affected in uh, testified and witnessed that the restoration has started. Uh, so be very careful about fumbling around buying a ticket for the train. The decision point, profoundly significant. 
uh, very interesting uh, that we know this is true uh, because of the outpouring of the Spirit. Acts chapter 2. And now it's beginning to affect men like this lame man. Caught up in the uh, the aftertow, if you will, of the storm surge. Uh, the, the word uh, uh, restoration is uh, used in secular Greek of of uh, fixing, restoring temples, fixing what's broken. Temple goes into ruin. The workers come and replaster the walls, and I don't know, pour concrete. Uh, replate silver and gold. Interesting imagery from secular Greek because in uh, New Testament Greek, you and I are the temple. God's restoring us. God's like this massive construction crew comes and invades your life and begins to fix the things that are broken. Because we are the temple of God. God lives in us. Uh, and, and like the uh, inauguration of the uh, end time rest- refreshment, this too will run until it's, until it's completed. Uh, so again, a decision point of profound significance. You say no to Christ, you're saying, God, I don't need your construction crew. Uh, my life is uh, as good as it gets. And uh, we forget the words of the great prophet Isaiah, all flesh is as grass. And the flower fades and the grass withers. And so too will our lives. Apart from Christ, the great fixer. Great decision point of eternal significance. Uh, the next blessing, verses 22 and 23, uh, is uh, Christ as the fulfillment of the end time prophet promised by Moses. Verses 22 to 23 of Acts 3. Citation here from Deuteronomy 18.15 as well as Deuteronomy 18.19. The Lord uh, your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your countrymen and you shall listen to him. Uh, it's given to Joshua. They're going to enter the land. Uh, Moses is going to vacate the scene. God's going to raise up other prophets to show them, teach them the way. Uh, but the greater fulfillment, uh, typologically speaking, is in Christ. He's the last prophet. Uh, you and I know that God raised up successive prophets like Moses uh, to keep the people from uh, turning to idols. But again, Jesus is the last great uh, it's the ultimate fulfillment of the prophecy. And uh, he's a prophet that should be listened to. So, well, why is that? Well, look at verse 23. Shall be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Utter destruction. Just a warning. Passing warning shot. To get you, uh, uh, get you out of the waiting line. Uh, to encounter the decision point of what it means to reject Christ. Saying no to life, no to restoration, no to refreshment, and yes to destruction. Uh, 
words of God. So, prophet, you must hear. Uh, I love the words of uh, the author of the book of Hebrews. God spoke to us in ancient times uh, uh, through many prophets, but in these last days. Notice last days. My friend, the last days have begun. And in the last days, who has God given to speak to us? In these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. And the follow-on to that text is, you better hear him. Because you're in the last days. They've started. All that that means. Uh, I love the warning of Hebrews 2.1. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Hear him. There are 10,000 voices in our world. Radio, television, aunts, uncles, teachers, professors. They're all important. I don't decry any of them. But there's one that's eternally significant. In these last days, He has spoken to us in His Son. Hear Him and don't drift. This, uh, this is a prophecy that's also picked up by uh, the Apostle John, John chapter 6, verses 44 and 45. Uh, in the last days, uh, the prophet Isaiah says, you shall be taught of God. Jesus comes upon the scene in John chapter 6 and begins to teach His people. They are taught of God. He's the end-time fulfillment of the prophet Isaiah. Incredible words and uh, dispatches the Spirit to draw His sons to Himself. Uh, so that in Axis is all centralized in a response to Jesus. Uh, and and uh, Jesus is the end-time prophet who draws His sons to Himself. Uh, beyond uh, Moses, verse 24, Acts 3, the prophets announce these days uh, Jesus' prophetic fulfillment the end time is now. I read a book a number of years ago by a uh, South African author by the name of Adriel Koenig. Uh, made a statement in his book that I've never forgotten. Uh, that uh, Jesus is the last great fulfillment and question in life. He's the last great decision point. Everything else really is insignificant. I mean, I know we go to the store and uh, do I buy uh, tomato soup with uh, rice or tomato soup with whatever? I mean, it's 10,000 these decisions. Uh, our, our, our culture confronts us, bombards us with decisions. There's really only one that's important. Christ is the last great decision that you have to make. And Peter has just told us why. Last blessing is that in verse 25-26 of the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, how do you get written in to uh, uh, God's will and testimony? 
Well, you come to Jesus. Uh, he, is, uh, he is the seed of Abraham. Uh, not plural, but singular. The seed of Abraham. Uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. If you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. How'd you like to be an heir of the Rockefellers? Uh, how'd you like to be an heir of the Vanderbilts? Man, that'd be cool. I could, I could sneak in to erase whatever's name, write my name in there. That'd be chump change. Uh, be an heir of the Abrahamic promises of the covenant of redemption. Uh, name written in the book of life before the foundation of the world, John says in the book of the Revelation. Uh, a name which if you, as you persevere in the faith, as you do when you come to Christ, uh, cannot be erased. Uh, what will be erased is your sins. What will not be erased is your place in the eternal inheritance. To wait is to risk forfeiting the blessings of the eternal covenant of redemption. That's why Koenig is right. He's the world's last great decision. Last great decision point. Come to Him. Embrace Him. Waiting comes at grave risk. Men are culpable uh, to ignore or even not to, uh, not to know uh, is to say no to forgiveness, eternal blessings, and the eternal covenant of redemption. But think of what it means to say yes. Uh, legal record before the court of heaven expunged. Written in the Lamb's book of life. Those are incalculable blessings for which we should be thankful. And uh, may we remain thankful uh, not only in this Advent season, uh, but throughout our lives and convey it to the world because it has no other hope but this hope.